0: chapter nine of elizabethan sea dogs by william wood this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine drake and the spanish armada with fifteen hundred and eighty-eight the final crisis came philip haughty gloomy and ambitious philip unskilled in arms but persistent in his plans sat in his palace at madrid like a spider forever spinning webs that enemies tore down drake and the english had thrown the whole scheme of the armada's mobilization completely out of gear philip's well-intentioned orders and counter-orders had made confusion worse confounded and though the spanish empire held half the riches of the world it felt the lack of ready money because english sea power had made it all parts and no whole for several months together then when mobilization was resumed philip found himself distracted by expert advice from santa cruz his admiral and from parma alva's successor in the netherlands the general idea was to send the invincible armada up the english channel as far as the netherlands where parma would be ready with a magnificent spanish army waiting aboard troopships for safe conduct into england the spanish regulars could then hold london up to ransom or burn it to the ground so far so good but philip to whom amphibious warfare remained an unsolved mystery thought that the armada and the spanish army could conquer england without actually destroying the english fleet he could not see where raids must end and conquest must begin most spaniards agreed with him parma and santa cruz did not Parma as a very able general wanted to know how his oversea communications could be made quite safe santa cruz as a very able admiral knew that no such sea-road could possibly be safe while the ubiquitous english navy was undefeated and at large some time or other a naval battle must be won or parma's troops cut off from their base of supplies and surrounded like an island by an angry sea of enemies must surely perish win first at sea and then on land said the expert warriors santa cruz and parma get into hated england with the least possible fighting risk or loss said the mere politician philip and then crush Drake if he annoys you early and late persistent philip slaved away upon this enterprise of england with incredible toil he spun his web anew the ships were collected into squadrons the squadrons at last began to wear the semblance of a fleet but semblance only there were far too many soldiers and not nearly enough sailors instead of sending the fighting fleet to try to clear the way for the troop ships coming later on philip mixed army and navy together the men of war were not bad of their kind but the kind was bad they were floating castles high out of the water crammed with soldiers some other landsmen and stores and with only light ordnance badly distributed so as to fire at rigging and superstructures only not at the hulls as the english did yet this was not the worst the worst was that the fighting fleet was cumbered with troop-ships which might have been useful in boarding but which were perfectly useless in fighting of any other kind and the english men-of-war were much too handy to be laid aboard by the lubberly spanish troop-ships santa cruz worked himself to death in one of his last despatches he begged for more and better guns all philip could do was to authorize the purchase of whatever guns the foreign merchantmen in lisbon harbor could be induced to sell sixty second-rate pieces were obtained in this way then worn out by work and worry santa cruz died and philip forced the command on a most reluctant land lubber, the duke of medina sidonia a very great grandee of spain but wholly unfitted to lead a fleet the death of santa cruz in whom the fleet and army had great confidence nearly upset the whole enterprise of england the captains were as unwilling to serve under bandy-legged c six sidonia as he was unwilling to command them volunteering ceased compulsion failed to bring in the skilled ratings urgently required the sailors were now not only fewer than ever sickness and desertion had been thinning their ranks but many of these few were unfit for the higher kinds of seamanship while only the merest handful of them were qualified as seamen gunners philip however was determined and so the doomed armada struggled on fitting its imperfect parts together into a still more imperfect whole until in june it was as ready as it ever could be made meanwhile the english had their troubles too these were also political but the english navy was of such overwhelming strength that it could stand them with impunity the queen after thirty years of wonderful if tortuous diplomacy was still disinclined to drop the art in which she was supreme for that in which she counted for so much less and by which she was obliged to spend so very much more there was still a little peace party also bent on diplomacy instead of war negotiations were opened with parma at flushing and diplomatic feelers went out towards philip who sent back some of his own but the time had come for war the stream was now too strong for either elizabeth or philip to stem or even divert into minor channels lord howard of effingham as lord high admiral of england was charged with the defence at sea it was impossible in those days to have any great force without some great nobleman in charge of it because the people still looked on such men as their natural viceroys and commanders but just as sir john norries the most expert professional soldier in england was made chief of the staff to the earl of leicester ashore so drake was made chief of the staff to howard afloat which meant that he was the brain of the fleet a directing brain was sadly needed not that brains were lacking but that some one man of original and creative genius was required to bring the modern naval system into triumphant being like all political heads elizabeth was sensitive to public opinion and public opinion was ignorant enough to clamor for protection by something that a man could see besides which there were all those weaklings who had been described as the old women of both sexes in all ages and who have always been the nuisance they are still adding together the old views of warfare which nearly everybody held and the human weaknesses we have always with us there was a most dangerously strong public opinion in favor of dividing up the navy so as to let enough different places actually see that they had some visible means of divided defense the thirtieth of march fifteen hundred and eighty eight is the day of days to be remembered in the history of sea power because it was then that drake writing from plymouth to the queen in council first formulated the true doctrine of modern naval warfare especially the cardinal principle that the best of all defense is to attack your enemy's main fleet as it issues from its ports this marked the birth of the system perfected by nelson and thence passed on with many new developments to the british grand fleet in the great war of to-day the first step was by far the hardest for drake had to convert the queen and howard to his own revolutionary views he at last succeeded and on the seventh of july sailed for Caronna, where the armada had rendezvoused after being dispersed by a storm every man afloat knew that the hour had come yet elizabeth partly on the score of expense partly not to let drake snap her apron-strings completely had kept the supply of food and even of ammunition very short so much so that drake knew he would have to starve or else replenish from the spanish fleet itself as he drew near on the eighth the spaniards were again reorganizing hundreds of perfectly useless landlubbers shipped at lisbon to complete the absurdly undermanned ships were being dismissed at on the ninth when sidonia assembled a council of war to decide whether to put to sea or not the english van was almost in sight of the coast but then the north wind flawed failed and at last chopped round a roaring sou'wester came on and the great strategic move was over on the twelfth the fleet was back in plymouth replenishing as hard as it could howard behaved to perfection drake worked the strategy and tactics but howard had to set the tone afloat and ashore to all who came within his sphere of influence and right well he said it his dispatches at this juncture are models of what such documents should be and their undaunted confidences in marked contrast to what the doomed spanish officers were writing at the self-same time the southwest wind that turned drake back brought the armada out and gave it an advantage which would have been fatal to england had the fleets been really equal or the spaniards in superior strength for a week was a very short time in which to replenish the stores that elizabeth had purposely kept so low drake and howard so the story goes were playing a game of bowls on plymouth hoe on friday afternoon the nineteenth of july when captain fleming of the golden hind rushed up to say the Spanish fleet was off the lazard only sixty miles away all eyes turned to drake divining the right way to calm the people he whispered an order and then said out loud there's time to end our game and beat the spaniards too the shortness of food and ammunition that had compelled him to come back instead of waiting to blockade now threatened to get him nicely caught in the very trap he had wished to catch the great armada in himself for the spaniards coming up with the wind might catch him struggling out against the wind and crush his long-emerging column bit by bit precisely as he had intended crushing their own column as it issued from the Tagus or corunna but it was only the van that fleming had sighted many a spanish straggler was still hauled down astern and sidonia had to wait for all to close and form up properly meanwhile drake and howard were straining every nerve to get out of plymouth it was not their fault but the queen's in council that sidonia had unwittingly stolen this march on them it was their glory that they won the lost advantage back again all afternoon and evening all through that summer night the sea-dog crews were warping out of harbor torches flares and cressets through their fitful light on toiling lines of men hauling on ropes that moved the ships apparently like snails but once in plymouth sound the whinnying sheaves and long yo hoes told that all the sail the ships could carry was being made for a life-or-death effort to win the weather-gauge thus beat the heart of naval england that momentous night in plymouth sound while beacons blazed from height to height ashore horsemen spurred off post-haste with orders and dispatches and every able-bodied landsman stood to arms next morning drake was in the channel near the eddy stone with fifty sail when he sighted a dim blur to windward through the thickening mist and drizzling rain this was the great armada rain came on and killed the wind all sail was taken in aboard the english fleet which lay under bare poles invisible to the spaniards who still announced their presence with some show of canvas in actual size and numbers the spaniards were superior at first but as the week-long running fight progressed the english evened up with reinforcements spanish vessels looked bigger than their tonnage being high-built and spanish official reports likewise exaggerated the size because their system of measurement made their three tons equal to an english four in armament and seamen gunners the english were perhaps five times as strong as the armada and seamen gunners won the day the english seamen greatly outnumbered the spanish seamen utterly surpassed them in seamanship and enjoyed the further advantage of having far handier vessels to work the spanish grand total for all ranks and ratings was thirty thousand men the english only fifteen but the spaniards were six thousand short on arrival and their actual seamen many of whom were only half trained then numbered a bare seven thousand the seventeen thousand soldiers only made the ship so many death-traps for they were of no use afloat except as boarding parties and no boarding whatever took place the english fifteen thousand on the other hand were three-quarters seamen and one-quarter soldiers who were mostly trained as marines and this total was actually present on the whole it is hardly an exaggeration to say that the armada was mostly composed of armed transports while all the english vessels that counted in the fighting were real men of war in every one of the armada's hundred and twenty-eight vessels says an officer of the spanish flagship our people kneeled down and offered a prayer beseeching our lord to give us victory against the enemies of his holy faith the crews of the hundred and ninety-seven english vessels which at one time or another were present in some capacity on the scene of action also prayed for victory to the lord of hosts but took the proper naval means to win it trust in the lord and keep your powder dry said oliver cromwell when about to ford a river in the presence of the enemy and so in other words said drake all day long on that fateful twentieth of july the visible armada with its swinging canvas was lying to fifteen miles west of the invisible bare-masted english fleet sidonia held a council of war which like believed that the english were divided one half watching parma the other the armada the trained soldiers and sailors were for the sound plan of attacking plymouth first some admirals even proposed the only perfect plan of crushing drake in detail as he issued from the sound all were in blissful ignorance of the astounding feat of english seamanship which had already robbed them of the only chance they ever had but philip also landsmanlike had done his best to thwart his own armada for sidonia produced the royal orders forbidding any attack on england till he and parma had joined hands drake however might be crushed piecemeal in the offing when still with his aftermost ships in the sound so with this true idea unworkable because based on false information the generals and admirals dispersed to their vessels and waited but then just as night was closing in the weather lifted enough to reveal drake's astonishing position immediately pinnaces went scurrying to sidonia for orders but he had none to give at one in the morning he learnt some more dumbfounding news that the english had nearly caught him at that drake and howard had joined forces and that both were now before him nor was even this the worst for while the distracted Sidonia was getting his fleet into the eagle formation so suitable for galleys whose only fighting men were soldiers the english fleet was stealing the weather-gauge his one remaining natural advantage an english squadron of eight sail manoeuvred coastwise on the armada's inner flank while unperceived by the spanish lookout drake stole away to sea beat round its outer flank and then making the most of a westerly slant in the shifting breeze edged into starboard the spaniards saw nothing till it was too late drake having given them a berth just wide enough to keep them quiet but when the sun rose there only a few miles off to windward was the whole main body of the english fleet coming on in faultless line ahead heeling nicely over on the port tack before the freshening breeze and far from waiting for the great armada boldly bearing down to the attack with this consummate move the victory was won the rest was slaughter borne by the spaniards with a resolution that nothing could surpass with dauntless tenacity they kept their eagle formation so useful at lepanto through seven dire days of most one-sided fighting whenever occasion seemed to offer the spaniards did their best to close to grapple and to board as had their heroes at lepanto but the english merely laughed ran in just out of reach poured in a shattering broadside between wind and water stood off to reload fired again with equal advantage at longer range caught the slow galleons end on raked them from stem to stern passed to and fro in one long deadly line ahead concentrating at will on any given target and did all this with well-nigh perfect safety to themselves in quite a different way close to but to the same effect at either distance long or short the english had the range of them as sailors say to-day close to the little spanish guns fired much too high to hull the english vessels lying low and trim upon the water with whose changing humours their lines fell in so much more happily than those of any lumbering spaniards could far off the little spanish guns did correspondingly small damage even when they managed to hit while the heavy metal of the english handled by real seamen gunners inflicted crushing damage in return but even more important than the englishmen's superiority in rig hull armament and expert seamanship was their tactical use of the thoroughly modern line ahead any one who will take the letter t as an illustration can easily understand the advantage of crossing his t the upright represents an enemy caught when in column ahead as he would be for instance when issuing from a narrow-necked port in this formation he can only use bow fire and that only in succession on a very narrow front but the fleet represented by the cross-piece moving across the point of the upright is in the deadly line ahead with all its near broadsides turned in one long converging line of fire against the helplessly narrow-fronted enemy if the enemy sticking to mediaeval tactics had room to broaden his front by forming column abreast as galleys always did that is with several uprights side by side he would still be at the same sort of disadvantage for this would only mean a series of tees with each nearest broadside crossing each opposing upright as before the herded soldiers and non-combatants aboard the great armada stood by their useless duties to the last thousands fell killed or wounded several times the spanish scuppers actually ran a horrid red as if the very ships were bleeding the priests behaved as bravely as the jesuits of new france and who could be braver than those undaunted missionaries were soldiers and sailors were alike what shall we do now asked sidonia after the slaughter had gone on for a week order up more powder said aquendo as dauntless as before even then the eagle formation was still kept up the van ships were the head the biggest galleons formed the body lighter vessels formed the wings a reserve formed the tail as the unflinching armada stood slowly up the channel a sail or two would drop out by the way dead beat one night several strange sail passed suddenly by drake what should he do to go about and follow them with all astern of him doing the same in succession was not to be thought of as his aftermost vessels were merchantmen wholly untrained to the exact combined manoeuvres required in a fighting fleet though first-rate individually there was then no night signal equivalent to the modern disregard the flagship's movements so drake doused his stern light went about overhauled the strangers and found they were bewildered german merchantmen he had just gone about once more to resume his own station when suddenly a spanish flagship loomed up beside his own flagship the revenge drake immediately had his pinnace lowered away to demand instant surrender but the spanish admiral was don pedro de valdez a very gallant commander and a very proud grandee who demanded terms and though his flagship which had been in collision with a runamuck, seemed likely to sink he was quite ready to go down fighting yet the moment he heard that his summoner was drake he surrendered at discretion feeling it a personal honour according to the ideas of the age to yield his sword to the greatest seamen in the world with forty officers he saluted drake complimenting him on valour and felicity so great that mars and neptune seemed to attend him as also on his generosity towards the fallen foe a quality often experienced by the spaniards whereupon adds this eye-witness sir francis drake requiting his spanish compliments with honest english courtesies placed him at his own table and lodged him in his own cabin drake's enemies at home accused him of having deserted his fleet to capture a treasure-ship for there was a good deal of gold with valdez but the charge was quite unfounded a very different charge against howard had more foundation the armada had anchored at calais to get its breath before running the gauntlet for the last time and joining parma in the netherlands but in the dead of night when the flood was making and a strong west wind was blowing in the same direction as the swirling tidal stream nine english fireships suddenly burst into flame and made for the spanish anchorage there were no boats ready to grapple the fireships and tow them clear There was no time to weigh for every vessel had two anchors down sidonia enraged that the boats were not out on patrol gave the order for the whole fleet to cut their cables and make off for their lives as the great lumbering hulls which had of course been riding head to wind swung round in the dark and confusion several crashing collisions occurred next morning the armada was strung along the flemish coast in disorderly flight seeing the impossibility of bringing the leewardly vessels back against the wind in time to form up sidonia ran down with the windward ones and formed farther off howard then led in pursuit but seeing the capitana of the renowned italian galleasses in distress near calais he became a mediaeval knight again left his fleet and took the galleass for the moment that one feather in his cap seemed better worth having than a general victory drake forged ahead and led the pursuit in turn the spaniards fought with desperate courage still suffering ghastly losses but do what they could to bear up against the english and the wind they were forced to lured of dunkirk and so out of touch with palma this was the result of the battle of grave lines fought on monday the twenty ninth of july fifteen hundred and eighty eight just ten days after captain fleming had rushed on to the bowling green of plymouth hoe where drake and howard their shore work done were playing a game before embarking in those ten days the gallant armada had lost all chance of winning the overlordship of the sea and shaking the sea-dog grip off both americas a rising gale now forced it to choose between getting pounded to death on the shoals of dunkirk or running north through the north sea in which the british grand fleet of the twentieth century fought against the fourth attempt in modern times to win a world dominion north and still north round by the surf lashed Orkneys, then down the wild west coasts of the hebrides and ireland went the forlorn armada losing ships and men at every stage until at last the remnant straggled into spanish ports like the mere wreckage of a storm chapter nine